Little Miss Sunshine came out in 2006. I saw it back then and once again, and now seeing it for the third time, the one word that comes to mind to describe it is cute. This is a cute movie. I suppose it's partly cute because it stars Abigail Breslin, who plays seven-year-old Olive Hoover and who is the key feature of this film. Here's what happens. Olive gets invited to compete in the Little Miss Sunshine beauty pageant in California. Unfortunately, her family is kind of a mess. Olive's uncle Frank has attempted suicide. Her brother has taken an oath of silence, and he's generally miserable, or so it seems, as he emphatically writes, I hate everyone. Her father just can't seem to succeed as a motivational speaker, and her grandfather got kicked out of a retirement community because he couldn't stop snorting heroin. Her mother is just, well, a mother. They don't have much money, but everyone wants to support Olive, so they agree to go on a road trip from where they live in Arizona to the pageant, and you can guess what happens next. Wacky adventures. Olive's father fat shames her. Ugh, he's just a really, really, really bad guy. The car breaks down. Uh, The grandfather dies. Miss Farmer from Donnie Darko tries to deny Olive from competing. And when she finally does get to compete using the dance moves her coach, which is her late grandfather, taught her, we see it's not really what you would find at the typical beauty pageant. And it's also set to Rick James's Super Freak. But everything seems to work out in the end, and it's all because the family rallies around Olive. And that, my friends, is how you make a cute movie. But the movie also speaks plainly about mental illness, depression, suicide, and it really shows us how families work together, whether it's for the good or the bad. So bring your tiara and best motivational speech, because as the Spin Doctors song goes, Little Miss, Little Miss, Little Miss can't be wrong on this next episode of Peculiar Picture Show. Welcome to Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. I'm one of your hosts, Maria Malazzo. And I am your other host. I am Brandon Gregory. So today we are looking at the 2006... comedy drama um little miss sunshine it's an independent film it kind of touches on depression it features a gay character which as we discussed in dog day afternoon most gay characters they kind of have to be like really gay for people to get them and this one they actually allow the gay character to be an individual to have his own thoughts and so Mm -hmm. um being gay is a part of who he is but it's not his entire character and so that's why we're doing this for pride month but this also brings up some interesting um, mental health conversations which will get into to. And so I have only seen this three times. I think this is my third time watching it. So Maria, how many times have you seen this? Uh, I think this is probably my third time seeing it. I, I know I saw okay. it when it first came out and then a second mm-hmm. time after that. And so this is at least my third, could be my fourth or fifth, maybe. You know, it's a movie where if I saw it and back when I, you know, had cable or something, I'd put it on because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. And so I like it. It's like, I don't think there's anything mind blowing here, like, you know, Black Swan or something like that. But there's, you know, there are a lot of good little nuggets, little takeaways in this. Mm-hmm. It's this uh, like I didn't really know the story behind how this movie was made. And so I started looking into that and it's like it's kind of an underdog story. Like this film took five years to make mostly for financial reasons where they just couldn't wow. afford to get to the next step. And so because it took five years to make um, Steve Carell, you know, of course, we know him from a lot of things now. But when he was cast in this movie, nobody knew who he was. He hadn't done anything. And so they actually <laughs> urged him. The financiers um, urged urged them to find someone else, find someone more famous. Wow! But then, like, after five years, when this was finally ready to release, three things happened. And those were Anchorman, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and The Office. <laughs> and so oh, Steve Carell was by far the biggest star. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the Steve Carell trio of greatness. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, he was a big star. They used him for most of the uh, marketing and promotion when this was ready to come out. And so it's kind of an underdog story for him, too. So it's uh, that was pretty cool. And, you know, what a fitting movie to be an underdog story, because mm-hmm. it's, it's really what this film is about, is about embracing right. your insecurities, your failures, um, stuff like that. And so it's it, it's kind of funny that the story behind the movie kind of matches the story inside the movie. And so I. It just made me kind of like the film a little more. Mm-hmm. And so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice that they that that match up like that. And yeah, it is like a class like it's like your classic underdoggy type uh, film. And also like the kind of classic like family dysfunction. They go on a road <laughs> trip kind of thing. Like, I, right. you know, like a lot of it. They all are working towards this one goal. And that's, you know, to get her to the Little Miss Sunshine pageant, but mm-hmm. they're all working through all kinds of different things all at once and it all kind of like comes to a head. And right. It's just one of those classic kind of ways of telling a story. <laughs> Right. And I mean, in many ways, like Olive is kind of the glue that holds his family together. Uh, I think there were several scenes where the family kind of looked like they wanted to split apart. They all wanted to go their different ways. And it's always Olive that kind of draws them back. Olive is the one that pulls them all together for this event. Olive is the one that finally gets them to, you know, embrace their failures um, at the end of the movie there. And that <laughs> kind of funny dance scene at the mm-hmm. end there, because they don't, don't really make a big deal about this. But, um, oh, gosh, what's her name? Tony Collette's character. Character, the mother, her son um, was actually a son from a previous marriage. And so I think there's like one line in the movie that explains that they don't make right. a big deal about it. I remember and so that. He kind of feels like an outsider. And so like, I mean, I've been through a family divorce and you feel like, you know, you're trying to some, you know, somebody's trying to force you another member into the family and you're not exactly excited about that. And then like the person they're trying to force into this family is this kind of loser, like, <laughs> you know, speaker guy. And so that's oh, like yeah. got to be some stress on him. And so I like I mm-hmm. the the cynic in me just loved watching this guy fail. Yep, me too. It's the type of person that I absolutely despise. Yeah, <laughs> those it's like, like winners and losers. Those, those so yeah. motivational speakers that I feel like I mentioned this on a previous podcast where uh-huh. I was like, you know, when you're in high school and they make you like listen to all those motivational speakers and stuff, and you think that it's over and you never have to go through it again, and then you realize when you get into the corporate world that you have to do it over and over and over, oh, yeah. and you have to pretend like you get things out of it, like. 
<laughs> so this is yeah, that is uh and uh that's played by Greg Kinnear Richard. Uh, and her name is Cheryl. I looked it up. Cheryl, really quick, okay, so. cool. Yeah, it's I mean like so many little facets like it they, they don't again make a big deal about this, but every character seems to really, really, really want something and they, they just never get it. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a film about like people wanting things and not getting them and having to be okay with that. And so, you know, most obviously you've got, um, is it Richard? Is that his name? Wants to be a motivational speaker. And, you know, that's the thing is like, I have put in book proposals for nonfiction Mm -hmm. books. And in the nonfiction world, if you are not already famous, it is extremely difficult to get any sort of recognition and any sort of deal. And so like, Mm -hmm. it's it's, the nonfiction publishing world is all about who you already are. Were they about motivational? Were they about the five steps? Did you do a book about the the steps? No, maybe I should. Uh, (laughs) Mine was about uh, JavaScript. And so (laughs) there were some other some other things there. Yeah. So very, very, different but still i mean in the nonfiction world like i mean i do a lot of writing for my church i blog for my church mm-hmm. um which i mean my church is like twenty thousand members it's a very large church and oh, so it actually has a big, big following yeah, yeah it's one of those big churches and so people have asked me like do you want to write a book and I, you know i do but like nobody would mm-hmm. ever publish it because right. nobody knows who i am yep. and so you know, there's that there's that's um, our paradox. Course. That's our writer's yeah. paradox. You want to write something and you want to get published, but you can't get published unless you've been published. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're yeah. already famous. And right. so, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. And so there's that the grandfather, I think, just wants happiness and he never really gets he that. He's just drugs, unhappy. Yeah. And that eventually kills him. And so um, I think the mom just wants a normal family. And um, I, I think we find out throughout this movie, it is not a normal family and there's really no chance it's ever going to be a normal family. So I mean, everybody's chasing something and nobody gets it. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's a story about failure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Dwayne wants to be the fighter pilot or no, a pilot. Yeah. Right. Right. And and then and he doesn't uh, Steve want to be Carell in that family. wants yeah. to be the number one Proust uh, scholar. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, Proust, and then he right? also not Proust. It's, it's Proust, Proust. yeah. Okay. So, Sorry. I didn't know before I watched this movie. And so yeah. we'll get into Proust yeah. later. But yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think at one point he claims he's the number one Proust scholar. And then there's an advertisement that says this other guy is the number one Proust scholar. And then I think at that point he doesn't care. And yeah. so initially he like, I think he feels like he's failed specifically to this other guy. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> I, I think in many ways an uplifting movie, but it also has some sad yes. moments as well. So. What, what did you uh, like about this film? Well, I liked the uh, family aspect of it, the dysfunctional mm-hmm. kind of family. I felt like it was really real. 
I really liked, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the beginning scene when they're all around the dinner table because it's um, it's food, and uh, <laughs> and 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 I think that the way of framing stuff and having that first scene set at the dinner table, that time of day when typically in your average household, that's when you sit down with your family and you kind of talk about your day, and I think that the problems that the family is having, the dysfunction that the family is having is very real and um, and, and is very um, much, you can get a lot from that moment at the dinner table. And so I really thought that was really well done to kind of introduce this movie of like, this is kind of what, it was almost like a thesis statement. Almost like these are what these people are mm-hmm. about and, and this is how they're going to go about like reacting to stuff. And they have that long conversation so because of what happened. And I guess maybe it's not the opening scene, but it's almost the op- I feel like it's, it's the first close. time we yeah. get all of the characters like this is the characters. This is where we're going to see all of our cast. And we get that conversation with when they're trying to explain to um, to Olive what happened to her uncle Frank. And we have Richard, uh, who is the motivational speaker, who's very against telling all of the truth or like bringing that up or this is not dinner table talk. He says stuff like that. And we have Cheryl and Frank willing to talk about it. And Mm -hmm. um, and I think that and and it made me think, first of all, it made me think, Brandon, what what do you find? Like, are, are there things that you're not allowed to talk about at the dinner table or things that you find inappropriate to talk about during dinner? (laughs) um it's it's an interesting case because my son is developmentally like a little behind and Mm -hmm. so we do steer clear of some topics just because like we don't want to encourage him talking about things he will get in trouble for because he's still learning like where are the lines when do i talk about this when do i talk about this um Mm -hmm. and so that said mental health is definitely not off the table because both my son and i you know, have some mental health issues. And so Mm -hmm. we, we talk very openly about mental health and, you know, I, I don't think suicide has ever come up, but if it would, I would talk very openly about that. Now, I mean, addiction runs in my family and it definitely runs in his family. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, we, we do talk openly about addiction, about alcoholism, about broken relationships. And so, so you don't agree with Richard? <laughs> no, not at all. And so, like, I, I think he just avoids everything negative. Yeah. He is just a cult of positivity kind of guy. But yeah, so and so Richard's very anti. He doesn't want Olive to know. And I was just thinking just in general, like, for example, so like if you didn't have your son and you're just with a bunch of adults, is mm-hmm. everything on the table when you're having dinner for a conversation? Like, will you talk about poop? Um... Pooping. Like I, I don't things. know that I'm specifically opposed to it. I don't know <laughs> right. that I would bring it up. But if it comes up and it's a conversation that needs to be had, I'm up for it. Yeah. Because so. I always get in trouble at the dinner table whenever I'm with friends for talking about really gross things because it does not gross me out. So it it just does uh-huh. not even phase me that I'm not supposed to talk about pooping or throwing up while everyone's eating. It grosses everyone out. And to me, it's just conversation. Like for me... <laughs> The dinner table is fair game for everything. If you, you uh, know, in the right company, um, in I mean, like obviously, if like right, a seven-year-old, yeah. you're not going to talk about like 
you know, double penetration porn. But, you know, I it may be in another company. Yeah, like I might talk talk about that, but that's really gross for other people. And I just have never got that <laughs> gag reflex of being grossed out by something so much uh, that I can't yeah. talk about it while I'm eating. Nothing grosses me out. So I was right. I was wondering <laughs> I was wondering if that was something <laughs> that uh, uh what the dinner table was like for you. And another thing that I was wondering because I want to just talk about mm-hmm. food really quick and then I'll yep. get back to my main subject about the movie. Um I like how, you know, she's like, oh, God, the damn chicken, not the chicken again. I got a bucket of chicken. Mm-hmm. And then she she makes a salad and she's like, everyone has to have salad because that's the healthy thing on there, you know, not right. the bucket of chicken. Um, and it got me thinking. Um, so growing up in my household, we very much and I know that it's different now and I know people probably grew up a little bit different than I did. Um, but it was very much, you know, maybe because it was being from an Italian American family, the dinner table and dinner was a sacred time and no one was allowed to bother mm-hmm. us. And that was we had to all had to kind of sit down. And there were times when sometimes we'd eat in front of the television. But for the most part, we'd sit down. We always have salad as an appetizer or like not even appetizer or salad with dinner dinner and almost always have dessert. And now that I'm an adult and I don't live with my family, I never make salad as a side like that or Mm -hmm. I I make salad sometimes, but like not all the time. And I make dessert sometimes. But like I feel like it was such a thing that like my family went to. What are you guys? Do you guys have any like traditions that you do at the dinner table? (laughs) Um, Growing up, yeah, it's funny. We did the family dinner together um, Mm -hmm. until the divorce. Um, And then after that, everybody kind of went their own way and we started, you know, kind of segregating ourselves um, at dinner time. And so, but now, I mean, we used to do dinner together, I think just to try to establish, because I mean, we adopted my son at age 10 Mm -hmm. and he really had you know, no real idea of what a family looked like. So we tried to show him this is what a family looks like. Uh, But the thing is, my whole family were just such lone wolves that like it didn't last (laughs) more than a few years. And so Uh now it's like my son is either, you know, watching TV or playing video games and he's eating his dinner. And then Janelle, my wife, is in another room watching TV and she's eating her dinner. And I'm sometimes with one of them or sometimes on my own doing something else eating. So it's like we don't Mm -hmm. really have family dinner anymore. And like, honestly, I, I think that's kind of a Gen X thing where like, mm-hmm. yeah. we just don't see as much value in that as previous generations. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, Gen X is like, you know, if, if there's not an obvious value, Gen X tends to be like, nope, not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because like the the baby boomers had built up this enormous empire of bullshit. And then when <laughs> Gen right. X started dealing with that, they're <laughs> like, like, nope, that. not going to deal with that. And now, unfortunately, like there are some things that maybe do have some value that Gen X has thrown out the window. But it, uh, I just I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't consider dinner time to be fine. sacred. Yeah, yeah. So and that's fine. That's fine. I was mm-hmm. just, I was just wondering. It got me thinking because yeah. I was like, oh, you know, we always talk about food and and all that stuff. But um, but I love that. That's the that's the introduction to this family, and and I love <laughs> yeah. that things feel real. And you know, the dysfunction that their family has is is. 
Like, I think in some ways you could say, oh, wow, yeah, they're really dysfunctional. But isn't everybody, isn't every family have their ups and downs? Like, we happen to come across this family, the Hoover family, at a time when they're maybe not at their best. And it all is kind of culminating, right? And they're all kind of failing in all these different ways. But is that really, does that really mean that they're dysfunctional? Or maybe everyone's dysfunctional? And I like to kind of think about that. And so I really thought that the movie did a great job of setting the stage of like, we're talking about this family and this is the dysfunction of this family. And this is what we're going to explore. And now let's take you on a little trip down, you know, with all this extended family. I mean, it's crazy. This trip, like a nor- in a normal family or just normally, if you if you have the means, because one of the reasons why they are kind of stuck th- this way, right, is because they don't have the means to rent a car or like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. do, do, uh, spend the money. Um, you know, so, and, and she can't drive, you know, the mother can't drive a stick shift. Can you drive a stick shift, Brandon? Oh no, no way. Okay. <laughs> I can definitely drive a stick shift. So this would not be me. All and right. I actually, I, I owned an old Volkswagen bug. So I had to drive one of those and it was really, really hard, but she can't drive a stick. So then it ends up that the, the father has to go too, and that, well, they can't leave, you know, Frank alone. So then the Frank, Frank has to come. It's like all these different things where they have to go. And it's kind of like, oh, now we're going to go on this little adventure and we're going to explore this family. So I just thought it was I love that opening scene. And it's just Mm -hmm. a very also the movie is just a very cute movie. I just feel like it's Uh cute. I I don't know how like it's adorable. I mean, we have it's centered around um, it's centered around Olive, you know, like like we said, I Mm -hmm. really do think it's very much centered around it and her growing up as a young girl, especially when we're talking about body issues and body there's a lot of there there's it it packs a lot in such a small movie you know there's a lot to talk about in terms of mental health which we'll get to later but there's a lot to it there's a lot of meat and everyone's going through all of their different things and we get to go through all those journeys and so i think that's what i really like the movie the movie sets it up that way and the movie delivers um in a way that is pleasant i mean, it was pleasantly surprised when i first saw this movie i thought it was going to be just a typical comedy drama and Mm -hmm. it's a little bit smarter than that and and i enjoy that what about what about you what did you like about this film i think i'm in agreement with just about everything you said like i you know i don't think i like a lot of movies that would be described as cute but i would describe this as cute and i really liked it you know and Mm -hmm. so it's it's um i i think it, it succeeds at being cute in my book because it's so real. And so I think there are a lot of movies that try to get this message across. Like it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to fail. You need to embrace your failure. But very few of these movies will actually show people failing. They're, you know, they show them failing in very cute and very safe ways. Like, oh, you know, I have trouble organizing my bills and therefore, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, I'm a failure. It's, you know, and the very few of them would show, oh, no, you know, this person actually did attempt suicide. Um, and, you know, this person, it, you know, his lifelong dream is crushed due to a physical disability. And so, like, there there are some very real failures in this film. And so, like, I, I don't think this is necessarily the most daring film, but it's more daring mm-hmm. than a lot in that it actually does depict some very real failures. The other thing is, um, had you heard much about Proust? Do you know much about Proust? No, I actually do not. I don't think I've ever read or heard very much out of my whole entire career. No. 
Right. Yeah. So it's I knew the name and that was about it. And so yeah, when you know, Frank says, oh, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm a Proust, you know, the number one Proust scholar in the nation. Like, I mean, first of all, I mean, what a great metaphor that like I'm the number one scholar in something that nobody has heard of, you know, like right. you know, talk about the futility of life. But Proust, um, I actually didn't know anything about him until this last time I did a little bit of research into him and his life and his work. Um, and there's a, a very interesting parallel between him and his work and what's going on in this movie. And so I, I think at the start of the film, all the characters would like to be Proust. And let me explain that. Proust um, is most <laughs> known for his work In Search of Lost Time. And it is like the most epic of all epic novels. It's a seven volume story. It's around 3,200 pages, over 2,000 characters. Uh. Um, and so like people have described it as the ultimate modern novel. And so Pretty much yeah. everyone who's read it has said, like, it's brilliant, the most brilliant novel ever, but nobody reads it. And so like, that's <laughs> that's the big thing is, like, nobody reads this because it's, you know, such a, a big epic thing is hard to keep track of everything. Um, so it was initially refused for publication. It took him years to get it published. Um, Frank even says in the movies, he spent 20 years writing a book that almost no one reads. And that's a perfect description of this. And get this, yeah. Proust actually died before uh, he was able to complete the book. And so, yeah, a publisher finally said, hey, I will publish this if you can make these edits. And then it just took him forever because the book was so long to make the edits and he died. Didn't complete the edits. Well, he showed him. Yeah. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So um, it was published posthumously by his brother. And so his brother, uh, I mean, at this point, Proust probably wasn't done with that because I get the like feeling that if Proust was immortal, he would have never finished the book because he just always wants to make it more perfect. And that's exactly what's going on here. It's just a chase of perfection that eventually, you know, uh, was, was the death of him, you know? And so it was published posthumously by his brother. And so that's, that's what's going on here is he like spent his whole life trying to develop the most perfect book ever written, like the most perfect thing. And he was completely obsessed with it and he never finished it. (laughs) And so he wrote a brilliant book, but he didn't see any success on top of that. Proust was gay, much like Frank. And so, but he never came out with the sexuality. It was one of those things like everyone close to him knew it, but -hmm. he would never admit it. And so at one point, even somebody said, Hey, you're gay. And he fought a duel with this person um, over being, called gay and he lost the duel by the way he didn't die but he was shot um or stabbed i forget what oh it my was God. so this was so wait what years was this was Proust? I, um he Do was you know? born in the late 1800s okay um he died in 1922 and so the book wasn't published until the 20s an, and he's american i think he's french you know? or is he from france um, okay france okay i i think he's european yeah so okay um but, Sorry, I mean, just putting Proust, in some he, context in that. Yeah, 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 it's cool. Um, so Proust, actually, the last three years of his life, he hardly ever left his bedroom. He was mostly just confined to his bedroom, working on his novel, living off his inheritance. And that's all he did. And so, I mean, you talk about a sad existence, like you never leave your bedroom. And you're just living off inheritance. You're not accomplishing anything. You're just working on something that's so big, you're never going to finish it. And he doesn't. And he dies of pneumonia. And so it's not mm. even like this big epic death. He just kind of died sick and alone. And so it's it's a sad story, but it's a story about, you know, if you chase perfection so much, like it you could end up missing out on life. And that's something that like, I think there are a lot of movies that really try 
to capture that. But there aren't a lot of movies that succeed because they play it safe and they want something that's relatable to everyone. And um, I mean, you were saying like this movie is very relatable to you. It's very relatable to me as well. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I do think there's some truth to every family is a little bit dysfunctional. But there's also truth to, I mean, some families are markedly more dysfunctional right. <laughs> than others. And yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, that's the thing is like, if somebody with an actual dysfunctional family says like, everyone's a little dysfunctional, I'm like, yeah, okay, there's some truth to that. But if somebody with the picture perfect postcard family says, oh, everyone's dysfunctional, I was like, you have no idea like how lucky you have it. So um, this this film, I think, is relatable to people like you and me because it does depict actual failure and it does depict mm-hmm. some actual problems. And so I, I think it may alienate a few viewers because of that. Uh, they may not understand it or it may scare them away, but it delivers that message much more powerfully, I think, because of that. And it's I mean, in the end, it's it's about embracing your failure. It's about choosing to live life, even if it means not achieving perfection. Right. Um, and so that's that's a cool thing. And it's yeah, I, I like I think just about everyone would say they believe that. Uh, but when it comes down to it, like a lot of people don't really know what that means. Yeah. And I think so. a lot of the depression that I had in my late 20s and early 30s was because I was wrestling with failing and mm-hmm. not feeling like I had accomplished the things that I w- wanted to accomplish and not doing the things that I thought, you know, I wasn't in a relationship. I thought I was going to be married. A lot of the society pressures were on me that I mm-hmm. felt like I needed to have a baby. I needed to have a family by then. All my friends were getting married. I wasn't, I was alone. And mm-hmm. it was very much, a, I think, kind of related to that, like where I had to be, oh, it's okay to not have a family. It's okay to fall down sometimes and get back up. Mm-hmm. And, like, and they say it a lot in this film, like as what being successful means is trying. Like if you don't do anything at all, then, you know, they say that a lot, especially to Olive. And I think it's, it, it's kind of to your point is that a lot of the adults are telling her that this is what it is, but they're not living what they're saying and it's not until like the end of the yeah it's not really until that that end Maria, what did you dislike about this film? So it was actually hard for me to figure out, okay, like I'm, I'm th- I was thinking, okay, what? Am, how am I going to answer this question from Brandon? Like, what do I dislike about this film? <laughs> and actually, there are two things that maybe I wanted to talk about. And the first one, before I forget it, because it reminded me when you were talking about this earlier, and I was like, yeah, like, that is kind of weird. So when we're saying how everyone has a goal, right? Like everyone, mm-hmm. and they all fail at their goal. So Frank wants to be the number one Bruce scholar Richard wants to be the motivational Mm -hmm. speaker. He wants to be successful. Alan Arkin's character wants to, you know, have fun and enjoy life. Um, Olive wants to be Little Miss Sunshine. And the son, Dwayne, wants to be a... um, in the fly airplanes. And then we're like, when I got to Tony Collette's character, Cheryl, and we're like, and you said, oh, well, she just, she just wants like a normal family. And I feel like it's so often that the women are defined by family. And so I was like, 
does she have her actual other goal other than she just wants a normal family? And so that was a little off putting to me. Like, Mm -hmm. um, like I, I guess like it would be great if she had something outside of her family maybe. And I'm trying to think, yeah, Yeah, you know, and so, you know, it is such a, it's, it is such a ingrained thing as, Oh, women, they just want their children to be happy and they just want a family and da, 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 da. But like, you know, Whereas, like, all the other people get goals that are not related to their relationship with family mm-hmm. or men. So so that was one thing that I noticed. And I didn't think about it at all. It was just because, you know, you we were talking about it. And I was like, yeah, that is kind of strange that everyone has this goal, except for the mother, whose the goal is to be the best mother ever. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what yeah, it seems like. Yeah, that's like, like the most you know? understated, too. Yeah, it, it, yeah. yeah. And, and she very much, and I very much, um, like, in that beginning, when I could feel the tension, when she, you can feel that she's like, you know, oh, gosh, I have to take care of all these people. Like, it's so, I felt so bad for her. It was almost like, sometimes I feel that, like, oh, I have to be, like, the only adult where I have to be responsible for feeding everybody and I have to be responsible for teaching my daughter about what happened to my brother, like, things like that. Like, I could very much, Tony Collette is just an awesome actress, so... Um, mm-hmm. So, kudos to her. And so, trying to figure out some other things that was, like, okay, like... A little off-putting for me a little bit was the whole buildup of like everything goes wrong for everybody. And I know that's making a point and that everything's going wrong, but it was like, you know, then the, the van breaks down or the bus breaks down and then, you know, Alan Arkin dies. And it's like all these things are one after the other and they're like a domino effect, which is which is fine. Sometimes, though, I get a little tired in movies when it's just like, oh, like one after the other, after the other, after the other, when I feel like maybe it could Mm -hmm. have been that tension that it brings. And I know like the point of it, maybe you didn't need so much of of the like problems like there's still problems, even if the van didn't break down, it would still, you know, or something. Um, So it was a little I mean, I guess I felt a little it's over the top. Yeah, yeah, a little over the top. And then, like, I also, like, these. this family is, like, never a family that I would be able to be around because I would never, ever go cross-country in a Volkswagen bus like that. Like, that's just so irresponsible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, like, if I didn't... But I know that they're doing this for Olive. Like, everyone's kind of... Do- uh-huh. Like like you said, Olive's bringing everyone together. So I understand, like, behind it. It's just a little hard for me to relate because I was like, oh, God, that's such a bad decision. Like, no, why are you doing this? Like, oh, my God, figure out something else. Like, it's like, um, or like even when she gets behind the wheel and she's like, I got to learn. I'm like, why are you trying to learn on this trip? Like, get right. through the trip. Like, <laughs> that kind of stuff. That's really I mean, like, I, I. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, like, I'm not saying this is the best movie ever. This is definitely not the best movie Mm -hmm. ever. And there's movies that, like you said, could take more risks and maybe could push push the envelope a little more. I mean, this movie does take some risks, but maybe it could go a little further. It's just a good movie. What it does, it does very well. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, so it was hard for me to like say, oh, well, this and the, uh, logically there's a blah, blah. There was, there was none of <laughs> yeah. that for me going on. Uh, what about you? What did you what did you what were some things about this film? Um, yeah, I'm going to echo back some of what you said. It's um, like it. I think they sacrificed a bit of realism in um, the events. And so the plot itself did not seem realistic. And so this almost seems a little more like a 
an allegory or something it's it's used mm-hmm. to prove its points necessarily than to tell a realistic story and you know overall i think that works well but it's um it did still leave a bit of a barrier, especially toward the end as things started getting more outlandish. And then um, as I, I think my bigger problem, though, is that this I mean, it's it's a simple message and a simple story told exceedingly well. But on this topic, I do wish they had gone a little deeper. Mm-hmm. And so I do wish they had delved into like, you know, what what's really going on with Frank or, you know, what what is the outcome of this going to be when they. You know, like they say, we embrace failure and there's that big dancing scene. But what does that mean for these characters and their stories that we've been building up for, you know, this whole movie? And so, like, I I wish I'd seen a little more. And so, I mean, that said, I I think the ending worked pretty well. And so I'm I'm not completely let down, but it's it's I I just I, I wish there had been a little more just all around in this. So, mm hmm. Yeah, that's Agreed. that's my my beef with it. So nothing nothing huge though. Like I, right. I, I, I like you said, I I like the movie. I enjoy the movie. I don't think it's like one of the best of all time, but it's it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and makes even though it's a simple point, I think it's one that we kind of all need a reminder on from time to time. So yeah, and and it did win. So I was just looking at the mm-hmm. thing. It, it was nominated for four Academy Award awards, um, including Best Picture, but it won two, which was Best Original Screenplay, and Alan mm-hmm. Arkin won for Best Supporting Actor. So, oh yeah, and it was the screenplay was written by a first time writer, Michael Arndt. What else has he done? So I he wrote Toy Story three, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and apparently a Hunger Games movie. So, oh, did he? Did he? Yeah. Going back to the um the underdog story, and so you have a first time writer. I didn't realize that, but the right. um, directors. It was a husband and wife director team, and before oh. this, all they had done is music videos. Wow. And so I it don't think they the had done anything like this. Yeah, underdog, underdog story. story. Yeah. So that's <clears throat> pretty cool. And I think like so, Paul Dano, who plays Dwayne was fairly a new actor probably around this time. Mm-hmm. But I remember him more in um, There Will Be Blood, uh, that movie. Oh, which, I haven't seen that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That might be on our list. So watch out for that. <laughs> <laughs> if not, it should be. It's a good one. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. And then we had, um, oh, gosh, the Kitty Farmer from. Yes. Um, so yeah, she was in this. She was playing another bitch. And yeah, like yeah. she um, she denies them um, entry like like, you know, <laughs> like a difficult person does like like true to um, to Mrs. Farmer. sound like you had some things to say on the mental health front what do you think is going on with the the mental health in this film well i mean this film is just chock full of mental health problems right oh yeah (laughs) i mean everyone really seems to have with the suicide yeah Yeah. so yeah we open with 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 frank and and he has just tried to commit suicide and she goes and she's picking him up and they say you know we wanted to keep him uh but you know his insurance which um which is a very real thing um about insurance i mean it's so expensive and i have been um i have 
you know, attempted suicide several times now and um, have been hospitalized for them. And, you know, I had insurance, so they definitely kept me like they're they're not going to not keep you unless uh, unless uh, because, you know, it's also money for them. But uh, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. unless you have insurance like that. So that was that was very real. Um, And he's wearing like his little like wrist things to cover up his his wounds the entire time so it's like every single time you see him it's like a reminder you know like that's his kind of you know get up his uh his costume if you will so there's a lot of reminders of that so i mean it opens up right away with um with with suicide and then also just uh, i think that there's a lot of so that we have drug addiction issues um, with mm-hmm. the with the grandfather, and um, we have a lot of uh, body issues with Olive. You know, she's going into a, mm-hmm. a beauty pageant. She's not what you would say is a typical young beauty pageant contestant, right? I mean, and they make that really mm-hmm. clear when she gets to this larger um, uh, Little Miss Sunshine um, uh, pageant. All the people are not like her. Like, you can clearly see that she is not like these other little girls. They make a comment. Her father makes comments about her weight a lot. Um, and we have the whole scene in the <sighs> in the diner. And she that wants to order so ice cream. I know. Yeah. I know. And it just reminded me, I remember... And it's so so body issues are a big thing with women and men. I think definitely mm-hmm. with both. It's not just, but with women. Uh, and obviously, I'm a woman, so it, I, I I can mm-hmm. tell you about my experiences. But you know, we just see so many things every day about what we should look like, what we should weigh, um, all of those kind of things. The diets are marketed to us. Um, people they have ki- their kids on diets. Like when they're like seven years old, yeah. I mean, that's just like absolutely ridiculous. I, I, when I was younger and growing up, I was very skinny. So I didn't get a lot of the fat shaming, you know, um, and then, uh, but, but there were times where, you know, when I turned like, and when I was in my twenties, I gained a lot of weight, you know, it just happens, mm-hmm. whatever. And, uh, there was a time and my mom, she was always very thin. And she said, she turned to me one time and my dad was there and she's like, you know, when I was your age, I wasn't over 105. Like she just says it like that. <laughs> And my dad flipped out and was like, you're going to give her uh-huh. issues. You're going to give her. Oh, my God. How dare you say that? Oh, like, man. Yeah. So she was almost like the uh, it was like the opposite where my mom was saying it. And my dad was the one kind of saying. And, you know, here we have the dynamic of Olive where the father who's all into winning, you know, and so uh-huh. think about the psychological trauma or just what what Olive is going through like my father she cries at one point about my oh, father's yeah. not going to like me because I'm not a one yeah, I know yeah because he doesn't like losers that was heartbreaking oh my gosh yeah it was just like i yeah that was that was um so the things that she's developing just from a young age of what she hears and she's experiencing and my daddy doesn't like losers and you know losers are fat that kind of thing where he kind of makes mm-hmm. that you know, he intimates that and it, it could very potentially be that Olive grows up with a lot of, of these issues, you know? And so I thought there was a lot to do there. I'm not sure. I mean, I feel like this is maybe one of the first movies that starts to talk about weight issues. I feel like that's kind of a recent phenomenon where we have body positivity. I don't think that that's, um, mm-hmm. that, that, that was really pre 2006. Um, but there are a lot of things no, recently. Yeah. yeah. That we're, we're trying to, you know, body positivity is very much a thing that we're trying to 
overcome in the society, among other things, maybe mm-hmm. not working because we're still everywhere you look, oh, you see these yeah. models and they're, oh yeah, these are the plus size models and they're just my size. Like, right. Or, you know, oh, and, man. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so there's a lot, there's a lot going to through there. Um, the, the, the real thing though, I mean, with the suicide, like when she comes in and like, she's like, I'm glad you're still around like to Frank and Frank's like, that's makes one of us like that's very much mm-hmm. was very much real to me. Like that felt very real. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you failed. I mean, speaking of failure, he fa- and he does talk about and that's something I failed at again, committing suicide. Mm-hmm. Like when he talks about that with all of mm-hmm. um it's very much a, a, a thing that you feel like you can't even do that. God, I'm so stupid. Like, how many times that, has that, like, narrative played in your head, Brandon, where you're like, God, I'm so stupid. Like, I can't oh, even gosh, do that right. Lot. I can't yeah. even, I can't even kill myself, right? Like, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It was very, it was, it was very real and very intense. Um, I thought the depiction was, was, was pretty good. What about you? What do you, what did you think? I, I agree with everything you said on the the body image stuff. That's definitely good. And I, I think I've seen body image a few times before, but this is the first time it didn't feel like a gimmick. Yeah. It's um like this is the first time it was just kind of integrated into everything. And it, like there have been a few movies before and I can't think of what they are, but I'm mm-hmm, <laughs> pretty sure mm-hmm. they exist mm-hmm. um, where they're like, oh, yeah, you know, this is body positivity thing. But that was like the whole idea was like, let's make right. a body positivity thing. And this mm-hmm. actually is like, no, this is a normal thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's... That was pretty cool. The depiction of suicide, um, and I, I don't know that we've really necessarily talked about. You talked a bit about yours. I haven't talked about my experience yeah. with suicide. I haven't had like a for real attempt, um, but that is actually due to some very careful planning on my part because college for me was very rough with my mental illness, um, mm-hmm. and so that's when I started getting into self harm and some other stuff. And there were a few times I was like, "This is going to a dark place," and I think it's going to get darker in my college dorm room and so what i would do is actually like go through my college dorm room and get rid of everything i could feasibly use to commit suicide and that probably saved me from a few attempts or well i don't know it may just be one and i get kicked out of college i don't know but um mm-hmm. it's uh like there, there were a few times when i really wanted to kill myself um and it was an overwhelming thought and i i just had no means to do it and i didn't have the energy to go out and find the means to do it because i mean for me thankfully it was a kind of a short-term thing mm-hmm. where i'd have these episodes that were a few hours and then it would fade and go back into just general misery you know so <laughs> that's that's my experience where i have been suicidal but i haven't had like a for real attempt and i consider myself kind of fortunate in that but um the the most real scene for me was um when frank does move in with them and oh gosh what is the teenager's name Dwayne. Dwayne, yes. So Dwayne writes on his little pad because he's not talking. Are you going to try to kill yourself again? Um, And then Frank says, no, I wouldn't do that to you. And Mm -hmm. I mean that, you know, now that I've kind of grown up a little and made some deeper human connections, that is the thing that keeps me from going to those really dark places. A lot of times now is I don't want to hurt others yeah, and I want to save, spare them that pain. And so like that, I, I think was a very insightful line because I mean, there, there seems to be this thing in society like where suicide is all woe is me. I can't take the pain when really like every time I've been suicidal, it's been because I honestly thought the world would be a better place without me. And I honestly thought yep. I would be doing a favor for the people by killing mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. by taking yeah. that burden off of them. And so um, like it's uh, 
I, I just got glimpses of that. And I mean, for somebody who's never been suicidal, I wouldn't expect them to pick up on that. But it's it's something that connected with me just because of my past. So, yeah, that uh, I, I thought was a nice a nice little touch. And you kind of see echoes of that throughout most of Frank's other interactions where, I mean, like he really just wants to help everyone and he doesn't have the means to do that because of his depression. And so that's, you know, again, very relatable to me because when I'm depressed, I actually care a lot. And what's frustrating to me is I don't have the energy to act on that, you know, um, desire to care. I don't have the propensity to go out and make the changes in the world I want to see in the world. And so I saw a lot of that in Frank and I don't see a lot of that in other characters, movies really at all. And so this, I I thought there were little touches that made this a very real depiction of depression for me. And so, yeah, that's what I got. Yeah. I mean, and you hear a lot when people say, you know, suicide is such, it's an, it's a selfish thing to do. And as Mm -hmm. someone who has suicidal thoughts and who have attempted that, there is nothing, nothing selfish in what it seems like there's nothing. So and it might, it might be. Yes. If when you get to the heart of it, yeah, because you're harming others and blah, 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 blah. But like you said, you actually think you're doing everybody a favor. Um, mm-hmm. you're, so you're thinking you're very selfless in those moments. And so there's a big disconnect. I feel like when people talk about it and I'm like, well, you know, at the heart of it, I guess you're correct. Maybe technically I could see an argument for that, but no one ever is like, oh, no one, no one, I, I, I'm, I'm, and I can't say no one ever because, but mm-hmm. almost probably most of the time it's going to be that they think they're making everybody else's lives better because we don't care about our own life in that moment. Obviously we're Kill, like you know so so it's like this this thing where it's like people say that but maybe it's coming from people who maybe haven't really experienced it and i know when mm-hmm. i was at my darkest time in my last kind of bout of real depression and i was seeing what i was doing to my parents by doing this and getting hospitalized so much and i kind of made a plan and i had it and this was after i got chloe my dog and so mm-hmm. I made a very real plan in my head. And I was like, when my dog passes away and when my parents pass away, that is when I will kill myself. And only then, mm-hmm. because I don't want to hurt them. And, and and like, it's a crazy thing that I made this kind of plan. I think I wrote a little contract to myself. Like, and this uh-huh. is, is ridiculous. Like, I was in my 30s. I, I'm because you know? I relate. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, because it's a thing. And like, that you do. Um and so there, I'm not being selfish, like, you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, but, but yeah, um, so, so kind of saying when, and I didn't catch that. I, I guess I didn't catch it when he said that I wouldn't do that to you. And I'm like, yeah, no, that mm-hmm. is very, that seems very real and poignant. Maria, you want to pick our our next movie? We're going back to random selection now, so yes. we don't know what we're going to get. And yeah. you blacked out the ones that we did that were on the list, right? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. You're not going to okay. get a repeat. Okay. I just want to make sure so. <laughs> that we're doing this correctly. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I am clicking the pick a random. Ooh, Shakespeare and Love 1998. Shakespeare. This I have the, been thinking about that movie lately. I have really? never seen it. Really? Yeah. So it's Academy. I guess it's because Academy Best Picture. I don't think yeah. I chose this. Um, no, I think I it's think because it's the best picture. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think I would have. But yeah. I think, okay. yeah. We're both so cynical. I don't think we would have chosen this movie. Right. But right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll do it. We'll do, we'll do the Shakespeare love. <laughs> um, that's fine. Uh, I have not seen it since the first time I saw it. Have you, And you said you've never seen it. I have never seen it. Yeah. So it's. I feel like I should be like a good English major and go see it. But I, I don't know what to expect. You know? So it's yeah. a romance. I know that much. Yeah. Yeah. So. so it's probably not, it's not really up our alleys, but, um, uh-huh. but it's okay. Um, I will, let me read really quick for our people at home um, of what the summary is. So Shakespeare in Love is a 1998 American romantic period comedy drama film um, depicting an imaginary love affair involving playwright William Shakespeare, who's played by Joseph Fine, and Viola de Lisset. I don't know how to pronounce that last name, who's played by Gwyneth okay. Paltrow. So we'll just call her Gwyneth. Uh, while Shakespeare, Gwyneth? Okay. yeah. So, and it's during while Shakespeare was writing Romeo and Juliet. So several characters are based on historical <laughs> figures, and many of the characters' lines and plot devices allude to Shakespeare's plays, but it's not a real story. It's just an imaginary kind of thing of... Yeah. It'll be okay. uh, it'll well, be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment until I see it, because I got into some yeah, trouble with Clueless, but I, I was like, ah, oh, that's terrible, and it was yeah, really good. So um, maybe, I don't know. So Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I don't want to cloud anything that you're going to think. So I'm just, <laughs> all right, I want so. you also to go into a blind. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I will do that. So, yeah. Um, so. so next time, Shakespeare in Love. Would you, do you, do you want to do the taking us out bit? Take us so out. Yeah. Take us. I, I mispronounced that. Take us out. Okay. Were you being Canadian? Um, so. Take us out. Take us out. <laughs> Take us out. Take us out in a boat. So, out in a boat. <laughs> so I, I don't know what accent that is. But anyway, I will take us out. Um, so you can visit us online at peculiarpicture.show. And so you can see um, all of our episodes there. We also have a few bonuses and bios and a list of all the movies we're going to eventually do. Um, in addition to that, I do my own movie reviews at brandontalksmovies.com. So I have movie reviews. I have a few top 10 lists and like some essays as well, just on movies in general. Um, and in addition to that, I have a site for my mental health writing. It's monsteronmyback.pub. And so I've got some um, articles I've written on mental health, mental illness, that sort of thing. Um, if you want to connect with us, and so there, there's information on how to contact us on our website, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash peculiar picture show. And so that's all I've got. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything except if you're listening and you're enjoying this, maybe you could write a review, leave a little review, and yes. um, and yeah, or if you're not enjoying it, you can also leave a review. I'm not going to discriminate um, or tell you what to do. Um, if you really hate it that much, <laughs> then I just want you to feel satisfaction and you can yell at us. But but yeah, um, feel free to leave a review. And so. speaking of the number one 
Proust scholar. Um, mm-hmm. One time when I lived in Orlando, I and University of Central Florida is in Orlando, so we call it UCF, you know. And I was behind this car, and on the car there was a sticker that said "Number One UCF Dad," and I was like so excited that I was behind the number one UCF Dad out of all the sixty thousand like, students. Is that just in Florida, or is that, that the whole world? That was a just yeah, all the UCF students. He was the number one dad, and I was like, the I wanted. One. Yeah, I almost like had him roll down his windows and be like, can I take a selfie with you? And then I was like, well, where's the number two dad? And then where does my dad fall in the line of dads of UCF? And so I thought it was very, I was behind the number one UCF dad one time. 